0: Before we uh, get to the text, um, I heard that it says in the newsletter this week that the women's uh, lunch is today after service. It is not today. It is next week. Is that right? Next week. Okay. So if you were planning on it today, apologize, but plan on it next week if you are able to do that. So this morning we're going to be in Matthew 23. We are covering a large uh, section of Scripture. Jesus' woes to the scribes and Pharisees. And honestly, it's an intense section and one we should pay attention to. It draws from last week as well. And so I want to mention again as it pertains to our reading and evaluating and responding to the text, we are a church committed to preaching and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so important. As we talked about last week, the scribes and Pharisees focused on preaching. They didn't practice what they preached, though. We must flee from that kind of religious behavior because we see today not only how empty it is, but how dangerous it is. So, if you are able, go ahead and stand and follow along as I read Matthew 23, beginning with verse 13, working all the way through verse 36. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets." Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town." so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah to the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word. Word that you've entrusted to us, that we might know you. Father, we pray that you would help us in this time, Lord. We want to hear from you through your word, so please help us. Your word is true. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name, Amen. obviously this is a lot to cover. Jesus is speaking woes concerning different issues. And before we get into each section that we have here, what does it mean for Jesus to say, woe to you? A woe is a warning and a rebuke. It both condemns evil and it laments evil. It's an expression of righteous anger towards sin and grief over its consequences including impending judgment the woe says that god will judge but also that there is time there's still time to repent and turn to him for forgiveness and mercy and in the text today we have seven woes that are going we're going to look at in five categories and each category being a deception that we must avoid. And so the five categories that we're going to look at as kind of our outline today are, first, the deception of a false kingdom. Second, the deception of a false testimony. Third, the deception of a false gospel. Fourth, the deception of a false righteousness. And fifth, the deception of a false zeal. I'm getting signals. Is it distracting You're hearing this? Everyone's saying yes? Do you all agree? Okay. Okay, this is going to be better. You guys know how much I love holding mics. So let's work through, okay? We have these five outlines. Let's work through these five things. First, the deception of a false kingdom. Verses 13 through 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now let's just let's just start here by feeling the weight of Jesus' words. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Let that sink in for a moment. We don't want to forget from last week, these religious leaders were sincere. They thought that they were doing the work of God. And following the word of God. But they were deceived. And Jesus is warning them. He warns them of this. And his first woe is because of their deception of a false kingdom. There is one true kingdom of God. And it comes by way of Christ. Through the cross. These scribes and Pharisees seemed to be building a kingdom. And they were, but it wasn't the kingdom of God. Jesus says that they were slamming the door to that kingdom, to the kingdom of God, to his kingdom in people's faces, and that they themselves were not entering it. They were hypocrites. The kingdom that they were proclaiming was a kingdom of works. Do all of these things and be pleasing to God. Be this person and be pleasing God. To God. And they sincerely believed that was the way, but they were wrong. And by leading others and teaching others to do the same, they were shutting the door of the kingdom to them. Now, why is that? Because there's no other option. The kingdom of of christ is a glorious and eternal kingdom where he will reign forever and ever and jesus says that entering that kingdom comes only through him that he is the way he is the truth he is the life no one can come to the father no one can be a part of god's kingdom except through him We come and we surrender all, all of our efforts for salvation in our own strength, all our worldly wants, all our faith in self. We surrender our pride. We surrender our life to Christ. Christ is the way and the truth and the life. But the Pharisees and scribes wouldn't have him, would not embrace him, would not accept him. But again, look at their sincerity in the text. Don't miss the fact that they were on mission. Jesus says here, you travel to lands to make proselytes. They would travel great distances to teach and to see converts made. So we have to to stop here. Missionary work will not save you. It is a byproduct, it is a fruit of salvation, but salvation comes through Christ alone and they would not have him. What does Jesus say? Those converts are twice the children of hell that you are. Sincerity doesn't mean salvation and it never will. Christ is our hope and salvation. If it's apart from Christ, it's not salvation. Their teaching, the religious leaders' teaching, left no room for Jesus, the Messiah, and therefore left no way to enter the kingdom. Now, they did leave room for a Messiah, but not the Messiah. And it matters that we get the truth about Christ. We don't want anything a Christ, we want the Christ, who's come to take away the sin of the world. Next, we see the deception of a false testimony in verses 16 through 22. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? upon it. Now this is weird, right? What in the world are the Pharisees doing in this? And who doesn't have sense enough to know what Jesus makes clear here? Of course the temple is greater than the gold inside the temple, so what in the world are they doing? What's happening when Jesus is addressing what they're doing here? Jesus calls them here blind guides. If you've never read through this text, it may be shocking, and it is. It's jarring. This is Jesus, the Messiah, calling them all of these names. And we've already noted that they're sincere in what they're teaching, so why the accusations? We have to remember in John 2.25, it says that, He himself knew what was in man. Which means this. Jesus knows our hearts. Not just what we're singing loudly when we gather together. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows why we're singing. He knows why we're reading the Bible. He knows why we actually came today. He knows our hearts. And he knew their hearts. Jesus knows the heart of man, so he's not just irritated here in this text. He's not just having a bad day. This is love. He knows the heart of these religious leaders, and he's warning them, and he's warning all of those who are tempted to follow after them. These leaders were taking oaths and allowing oaths with minute distinctions that they think distinguish binding from non-binding oaths. But differentiating between an oath on the temple and an oath on the gold in the temple is nonsense. Why? Because both are holy because of God's presence there. No matter how one makes an oath, or we might say no matter how someone swears, if someone gets up in arms or just trying to defend themselves, and I swear to whatever. God is witness to that. God witnesses every word humans utter. And that should be enough for us to compel honesty from us. Every oath, from the least to the greatest, involves God and his throne and therefore is binding. And so what's the point here? Since every oath centers on God and is made in relation to God, there's no need to swear by anything. But instead, a yes is a yes and a no is a no because all promises are made before the throne of God and will be judged by God. Third, we see the deception of a false gospel. Verses 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now there is a ton in these two verses. Let's think about what the religious leaders were doing And then what Jesus says they should have been doing. What were they doing? They were tithing. They were giving. They were giving back to God from what they received. And that's good. But not just that. They were going beyond the commands and expectations of Scripture in their tithing. The law established the principle of tithing. Grain oil, wine, and firstborn animals to God for distribution to his priests and the poor. It did not require, however, tithing of these herbs. Now, it's not at all evil that they're tithing from what wasn't even required. That actually could be a sign of genuine devotion to God. So, it's not its not necessarily wrong that they are doing that above and beyond what the scriptures tell them to do in tithing. But for these religious leaders, it's not a sign of devotion. Because they were doing these little things, and yet neglecting what Jesus refers to as the weightier matters of the law. What are the weightier matters of the law? He tells us justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus says here that it is urgent that as the people of God, we display the character of God. Not just do little things in front of others to impress, but display his character, justice and mercy and faithfulness. This ties to what he has mentioned earlier. What is the greatest commandment, Lord? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And the scribes and the Pharisees failed in that. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The true gospel is something we believe that transforms us then into people who respond with lives that display our King. Now, why is that true? Because Jesus really did do something. He really did die for us to save us. He really was raised from the dead for our justification and for our hope. And he really did save and transform us and give us his spirit when we were saved. He really did do those things. If we're in Christ, those things are true. And therefore, believing the gospel and being saved transforms us into people who seek to display his character, not what we used to be, but what we are now. And so we act, we do differently than we did before. We do or we act like God, not like man. We love our neighbor. God wrote in Micah 6, 8, He has told you, a man, what is good, And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That's the point here in Matthew 23. They should have known because they knew Micah's words, but they were not doing justice. They were not loving kindness. They were not walking humbly with their God or They're not seeking and striving for justice in the world around them. They're not acting towards others with mercy. They're not living in faithfulness. The law, the heart of the law and intention of the law leads us to kinship with all mankind. And empathy for all who are marginalized and who are in need. We love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, I want to I sort of pause here for a second, because I love you. And so let's talk honestly about this for a second. Because the word justice is sort of a trigger word in the church right now. It's a word that conjures up feelings that can lead to division, and people are even leaving churches that talk about justice in an amount that they consider too much. And for some, maybe any talk about justice is reason to leave the church. So why? Why talk about it at all? If if there's risk, why talk about it? Why not just preach the gospel? Why not just focus on Jesus and sin and how he overcame for us and and about his death and resurrection and then let God deal with it? Let God deal with justice. And I would answer that by saying this, God dealing with it is not what we want. That's not what we want. Jesus is saying here that they were hypocrites because they didn't pursue justice. They didn't show mercy. They didn't walk in faithfulness. They did not care or come alongside the abused. But it's not just this text that shows us that we don't want to just let God deal with it, that that's not really what we want. A lack of justice is condemned by the prophets. In Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 18, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who's required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before your eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your skins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. In Amos chapter 5, the Lord speaks again there, beginning with verse 14, Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. In verse 21 I hate, I despise your feasts, I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That is the Lord speaking to his people do you see what God is saying there? It's jarring. Guys, it would be the same as God saying to us stop. Stop gathering. I hate your preaching. I hate your singing. I hate your scripture reading. I hate your gathering you don't mean it you're hypocrites do justice love mercy walk humbly with your god or as jesus says it in matthew 23 these things you should have done without neglecting the weightier matters jeremiah verse 20, or chapter 22 verse 3 thus says the lord do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Now, why is this condemned? Because it's the character of God. When we as Christians disconnect or dispute over, or deny justice, true biblical justice, where the abused, or the marginalized, or the defrauded are shown mercy and love by us, when we disconnect from that, or dispute over that, or deny justice, we are disconnecting from the character of God. We are displaying what God is not like. These things, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, are the overflow of walking humbly with God, but they were not characteristics of the religious leaders in Jesus's day. One commentator writes this It doesn't make sense priding ourselves on obe- obeying convenient laws that are easy for us to do or debating minute truths that are easy for us to get hung up on when there is such great need to show justice and mercy in our own city and across the globe. Again, it's not that the more convenient laws, it's not that tithing and other things like it are unimportant. Jesus says the opposite, right? He says, these things you ought to have done without neglecting the weightier matters. To love God and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself and do both with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And I would ask you before we move on to the next point, are there injustices around you that you could step into to bring relief? Whether that injustice comes through poverty or through prejudice, how would the Lord have you display mercy and faithfulness? How would Jesus display mercy and faithfulness to those situations? that the answer to that might be costly. It may cost you something. But even in that, there are humble ways to show mercy and faithfulness to those who are hurting, whether abused or marginalized. Pray that the Lord would reveal those things to you, to us, and then willingly step into them. Fourth, we see the deception of a false righteousness. Verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all in cleanness so you also outwardly appear righteous to others but within you are full within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness now this section is not hard to understand right i mean you just picture picking up a glass out of the sink that's been sitting there for far too long one of the boys had milk. And needing a glass and thinking, I'm just going to clean the outside of this, pour a nice cup of water, and drink it down. You wouldn't do that, right? You, you're, you're aware enough to know that no, the inside of this cup has to be clean or it's not going to be good, anything coming out of it. In the same way, a tomb You can wash the outside of it as much as you want. You can try all that you want to, to clean and whitewash the tomb. But you know what's inside it. You know that there are dead bones inside the tomb. The reality is we can get so busy trying to make the outside look right, look clean, look like we have it all together, and totally neglect the inside, our hearts. I think we're most prone to this in parenting, where we can get into routines where all we're concerned about is behavioral modification. Stop saying that in front of those people. Stop doing that, but never getting to the heart. What's in their heart? The same goes for these Pharisees, the same goes for the disciples, the same goes for Tony, the same goes for us. What's in my heart? I can put on any act I want to for the church, for my neighbors, for whoever. What's in my heart? Am I just cleaning the outside of the cup as I drive to church? Or is there a heart transformation? The Pharisees did just that, cleaning the outside, outside of the cup. They wanted to look set apart, holy, spiritual. They wanted to look those ways, but inside they were unclean. Jesus says, full of greed and self-indulgence. There is no hope whatsoever that the outside will be truly clean if the inside is not Jesus says, work on the inside. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. And then in Matthew 12, he says that a tree is known by its fruit. And what, what is on the inside is what the fruit will be determined by and in Matthew 15 he teaches how what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and that's what defiles a person and then we know in Galatians 5 the fruit of the spirit what the spirit cultivates on in us from the inside is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It comes from the heart. We must be people who seek to have clean inside. And that comes from what? Submission to Jesus. I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Uh, Paul writes there, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? And then he lists this list of, of identifying sins. But then in verse 11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Let Christ clean the inside." Let's not be people who just try to manufacture a cleanness on the outside, but let Christ change us. And fifth, the deception of a false zeal. The deception of a false zeal, verses 29 through 36. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! The scribes and the Pharisees took time building and decorating the monuments of the righteous, the prophets, to appear to be devoted to them. Again, this cleaning of the outside of the cup. If you look at verse 30, if saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. That's what they proclaimed. I felt convicted by that. How many times looking at the scriptures and looking at the Israelites being led by Moses and thinking, why are you complaining again? Or seeing the Pharisees and saying, I'd never be like that, or the disciples. Jesus knows concerning the Pharisees that they definitely would have contributed to the death of the prophets. In fact, they soon will. In a few days they will take part in the murder of Jesus. That line, fill up then the measure of your fathers. Bring it to completion. Fulfill it. And they will. Not only will they kill Jesus, but what Jesus says in verse 34 will come true. As he sends out teachers and Prophets It's exactly what we see unfold in the lives of the disciples and missionaries who spread the gospel in the book of Acts. These religious leaders had a zeal for God. There's no doubting that. They had a zeal for God, but it was a false zeal. Paul writes in Romans 10:1 and 2, "Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they would be saved." For they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And what's the result of that? Verse 33, Jesus says, how are you to escape from hell? How are you to to escape being sentenced to hell? This text is jarring. That question is jarring. And it should be. We should read it and immediately examine our own hearts. How are we to escape being sentenced to hell? And the answer to that is only by grace. It's not by cleaning harder the outside of the cup. It's not by tithing more. It's not by doing specific things other than throwing ourselves on the grace of God. Romans 10.13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's grace. You know what we find out from the Gospels in the book of Acts? Some Pharisees believe. Some follow Jesus. Some are saved. And they're saved forever. The inside of the cup, finally and forever, clean. If you don't know him, if you're striving through church attendance or giving or doing specific things, striving through those things to earn heaven, that's not the answer. Surrender to Jesus. If you've never truly surrendered to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the scripture says you will be saved. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He gave his life literally so that we could be saved. He took our place by dying on the cross for our sins, and that's what we remember, and and Paul says that's what we proclaim each and every time we take the bread and the cup. He took our place by dying on the cross for our sins. His body was literally broken. His blood literally poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. In 1 Corinthians 11, I mentioned this last week, Paul talks about not taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And the circumstances around it have to do with justice and mercy because people were forsaking the poor and coming and feasting while the poor were being left out. Paul literally says that because they were acting that way, it wasn't for the better that they were coming together, but for the worse. His words sound very similar to Jesus' words to the Pharisees about justice and mercy and mercy faithfulness. It sounds similar to God's words to the Israelites about justice and mercy. And so as we prepare to take the bread in the cup, let's look at the inside, inside of the cup. Let's look at our hearts. Let's examine and confess and seek to be examples of what God is like. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're so good to us, Lord. Grace upon grace upon grace. Paul says you lavished us with grace. You just pour out so much grace on all who trust in your name. We praise you and thank you, Lord. We ask that you'd help us as we look at these woes that you spoke to the religious leaders of your day, Jesus. We know that we are prone to hypocrisy at times. And so help us to examine our own hearts, to look to you, to your grace and your mercy, to your transforming power. Lord, you say in your word that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work on our behalf. So when we look at these things, when we look at justice issues and issues of mercy and faithfulness, we know that you are at work the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work on our behalf. So we are not hopeless in getting involved. We know that you are able to do through your servants whatever it is you choose to do. So help us and help us in this time, Lord, to examine the inside of our hearts and to together as we take the bread and we take the cup and In a few moments, we take it together as a body of believers. Help us, Lord, to proclaim joyfully your death and your resurrection. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.